Hey everyone, this is Build Your Bottom Line. A production of Treadstone Risk Management. I'm Matt. And I'm Alan. Our mission is to bring together real estate investors, developers, management firms, and contractors to share tips, tricks, hacks, and even some laughs. We want to save you money, protect your business and reputation, and, and help build your, your bottom line. It says, and help build your bottom line. You're gonna say, you gotta, you're gonna... Dumbass. Dumbass. That's the intro right there. <laughs> Cut it. <laughs> Canned it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Good evening. For those of you who may be new, this is Build Your Bottom Line. We are a production of Treadstone Risk Management. I am Matt, and this is Alan. I am Alan. Uh, you are Alan, and we are here to save you money, protect your business and reputation, and help you build your bottom line. So um, we might have a fun show if uh, the black wasp that's in Alan's house decides to sting him in the middle of this recording so um you might have that to look forward to so you might want to stay through to the end because you never know what's going to happen um or, we're if probably or if you see me sprint out of the room suddenly you know why <laughs> um so uh this is probably going to be a short one um but uh as usual like comment subscribe share hit the notification bell retweet uh, help us with the algorithm. Help us get uh, this information out there. Uh, we love speaking to um, not just risk management, but also operations and tips and stuff like that for real estate developers, investors, contractors, real estate management firms, everyone within that ecosystem. So help us out with that. Uh, this evening, we are going to be talking about uh, an actual uh, client. We're not going to name drop or anything like that. But um, So we have a prospect that we're working with right now. Um, they are a real estate consulting firm, um, so they're not actually getting their hands dirty in terms of like the financial investment or anything like that, but they're working in a support role for developers and some other people within the real estate industry. Um, and we kind of wanted to talk through like our process and, and kind of like how, we, uh, how we've approached this and some of the considerations. So if you are a real, real estate consultant or if you know of one, um, they can also take these same considerations and, and think about that when they're going through their um, coverage and how they operate and everything like that. So uh, what was your first impression, Alan, when, when you got this opportunity? What was like the, the first couple of things that you were concerned about? Oh, that, well, obviously, my number one concern was reaching out and saying, hi, I got your information. That always helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember our, our whole episode about not calling people back when they call you. I don't do that. Uh, yeah. yeah, he reached out and I, I replied. Um, but, you know, obviously, the first first thoughts through my mind is, uh, OK, great. What is it that what is it that he needs? Um, right. What is it he is looking for? You know, does he have a policy already that maybe isn't working for him or is working for him, but he needs more coverage? Maybe he just hates his broker and he really wants a new guy who's awesome. I mean, I can't blame people for that. Look, you can't go wrong with a little eye candy. That's all I'm saying. That's, you know, <laughs> I'll let my broker handle it. This is my broker, and people get intimidated. I won't lie. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's all good stuff. That's all good stuff. So um, we won't go too far into the weeds, but uh, in terms of this company and how they're kind of like set up and and their particulars and stuff, again, we don't want to you know dox anyone in terms of that. Um, but uh, so what's important to understand is. 
there are some moving parts here, and depending on how they answer these questions or how they choose to run their business makes a big difference in terms of mm-hmm. what type of insurance they need, um, if they can get it, and and what it costs and which insurance companies are going to write them, as well as you know our recommendations as far as risk management moving forward. So um, one of the first things I asked about was whether or not, like, uh, what's the phrase, don't touch the money? Right, like yes. that's, uh, that's always the phrase. I understand it's used in a different context in terms of like sports and whatnot, but um, uh, that was one of my first concerns was whether or not they were actually handling client money, or um, in some cases the consultant may also end up in some capacity getting involved in actually having you know equity or an interest in the developmental project that they're working on. Luckily enough, they didn't have that exposure just yet, and so it makes it a lot easier because once you start handling money, um, you know, you go from here to here in terms of what an insurance company is going to look like in terms of the risks that are associated. Yes. And, um, and it seems like insurance company interest and in it goes from here to here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's just different insurance companies. If you stick with the same insurance company, yes, that's like um, what's funny is I remember we were going through uh, one of the online apps, Alan, and you were like, why the hell are they knocking this out and not writing this? And I was like, oh, well, you know that question right oh, there? You, you answered yes, and it's supposed to be no. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, Clicking the no, wrong button and, made a big difference. But uh, really, the, that is the difference times between um, a successful submission and <clears throat> one that gets uh, you know denied, so to speak, and maybe it's denied improperly. Maybe the insurance company would have actually written it um, and so you definitely have to make sure that all of those particulars are correct. And yes. so in this case, you know, one of those things had to do with whether or not they were taking any kind of financial contribution uh, or contributing into the actual programs that they were going to be consulting on. Yes. And, um, and, and, and I, you know, I, I, oh, I, when I was on the phone with, uh, with, with the company, they, uh, they actually, as, as we were going, because I was trying to get information for the second half, which we'll be talking about shortly. Um, they were, they were very lovely people. And they actually, uh, asked me a couple of follow-up questions on information that you and I had, but there was really no place to put it on the application. Mm. Um, and they actually walked through and once they realized, they said, you know, really the, what you're, what, what you have this signed up as it's actually kind of a split between the two. And if you take the second one, the, the, the approval process will go even faster. Yeah. And I was like, done sign me up <laughs> yeah <laughs> i yeah it's it it, it is really it, it's tough for people to understand if they're not wording. actually working in wording is everything yeah wording language um how you frame the submission is also important um so on this one we've got uh we can also kind of like look behind the curtain or give people a peek behind the curtain a little bit um That's a mess back there you don't want to see that the the let me get your visceral response to um how you see the quoting process in the insurance industry <laughs> like us actually Wait, submitting on. to the insurance companies i'd be kind we don't want to like you know crap on anyone or anything but you know <laughs> it's the greatest it, it, it is you would be convinced that these multinational multi-billion dollar companies have never seen a computer in their life. <laughs> that, that is how I would describe. I mean, the, between why it was funny. They said, you know, you could have gotten the, you could have gotten these forms from the resource center on the website. And I went, what resource center? 
Yeah. I looked at your website for 20 minutes. I did not see a single button that said resource center. And th- no lie, they said, oh, it's down at the bottom in the little gray part near the contact us. Yep. Whoever looks there. <laughs> yeah. The the um, the irony is <clears throat> one of the industries that invests the most in like IT infrastructure and stuff is the insurance industry. One of but, the industries that wastes the most money on infrastructure well, is the insurance industry. Well, yeah. So they use it a lot on the back end stuff that you don't see, right? Like they use it internally and stuff. I'm um, sure their Facebook filter must be fantastic because I don't know what else they're spending <laughs> money on. I've I've yet to see an insurance company with a Facebook filter. Maybe maybe like State Farm no, or, or Guy. No, or I'm, I'm, like I mean one. I mean one to keep their employees off Facebook all day. Oh yeah, no, that that's no, that's definitely uh, they they uh, spend on that. Be me, billions on that because it's definitely not the user interface up front. Yeah, well, yeah, and so to that to that point, um, you know, like the the user interface or the user experience has been de-emphasized for 20 or 30 years. Um, it's only until recently where a lot of these companies have kind of been ramping up, you know, actually making a really uh, intuitive user interface for brokers or if they're like one of these companies that affords like self-service, you know, like a Geico or something like that, um, that have really kind of dumped a lot of money into that user interface to make it better. But it's still difficult because there's like – Insurance has so many different things that get put into it in order to come up with a price. And the crazy thing about it is, I mean, you know, we're we're brokers. We go to multiple insurance companies to Mm. try and get quotes for you. And there is not a single standardized form across any of it. Well, I I could fill out the same form three times for three different companies, and each one has different questions on it. Yes, the supplementals. Oh, that, that is like a – it is a bugaboo of every broker that's out there. It's like, um, you know, nine times out of ten, I'll ask, can you just take this other company supplemental and quote off of that? Because it, it gets to the point where it's just like, you know, the the paperwork, you get buried in it, you know. Um, I think uh, the other dynamic here is there there are standard forms for like getting the process started, right? Yes, Exactly. That was me. That, this is me is it, for the past three days. Were you wearing leather pants at the time? It looks like you're wearing some, you know, again, hopefully, hopefully they're full coverage. I'll, listen, I won't say anything more than that, but my, my clients expect a certain je ne sais pas. <laughs> certain level of professionalism, if you will. Um, but yeah, so there are some standard forms, but those standard forms just get the process going, right? Mm-hmm. Once you get into the details, a lot of these companies have these supplemental apps and you're right, there's no standardized supplemental app typically for the same risk. So you go to four companies and you got to fill out four supplemental apps. Um, so yeah, I, we've been going through that process. Um, it is what it is. It, I mean, you have to do business the way that you know they, they need you to do business in order <clears throat> to get the quotes for the client and, and yep. do what's best for the client. So yeah, we've been going through that process. I think um, uh, there, there's... Pros and cons to both of those processes too. So like uh, the online is streamlined to a certain extent, but again, if you click a radio button wrong or something, it could kick it out or give you an erroneous price. And the other dynamic is um, you find like a lot of brokers that learn how to game the system. And so they just go through and click the buttons that they know will get to a price at the end of the day and mm-hmm. buying the policy as opposed to you know actually answering the questions factually and truthfully and if it kicks it out, then it kicks it out, and you have to go somewhere else. You know. Yes. Um, so yeah, there, there's pros and cons to the technological side of it as well. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk about this risk. So 
what were the coverages that you were first keyed in on that they were really going to need in terms of like, you know, uh, starting day one under the policies? Yeah. So the, obviously the initial was they were looking for just general liability and professional. They wanted errors and emissions. That was it. Those were the two that they said they had to have it and they were all set. When I asked them, you know, how much and initially they said base it on 250,000 income and, uh, you know, and, and, and they didn't give me any day limits. So, you know, we just went with the standard limits. Yeah. And so, um, uh, w- explain the difference between the two. Why would you need both a general liability policy and a professional liability policy? General liability is going to cover, you know, your property or your 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 office equipment, your your standard. You know, it's your, it's your standard policy. It's your standard. You know, when you when you go to apply for a permit, and every contractor knows that they they don't really care what they just want to see if you have a, a liability policy as it covers your basics uh, against damage. Yeah. Property, you know, all that fun stuff. Yep. Professional liability. Yep. yep. Professional liability covers you for when you do something and you make a mistake. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of it's it's very popular in corporate settings. Mm. A, anything, a, where you, uh, anything where a, you're issuing reports and a professional mistake. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, the the other name for professional liability and a lot of people. In the industry, we use them interchangeably. Um, a lot of people emissions. know it is one thing or everything. Yes, yeah, errors and emissions. So, like uh, home inspectors have out often. Home inspectors, your accountant, your lawyer, your attorney, your doctor, right? Like a uh, professional liability for a doctor is their medical malpractice. Um, it's when they're doing their profession. Did they do what was supposed to be done, or did they forget to do something? Um, and did that cause some kind of, you know, loss or damage or, or mm-hmm. God forbid, bodily injury or something like that, right? Um, so uh, one thing that came up in our discussion, and actually before I even get to that, um, I'm going to use this as some uh, shameless self-promotion time. Ooh. But uh, plugs. I, They're called plugs. I can get this up here. Yeah, so this is basically the process that we follow. So it's essentially a five-step process. If you notice, it's uh, a circle. Um, so it's uh, iterative. Um, so every year, um, typically, we end up going through this process. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, the the gathering information or the study part is essentially getting to know the risk, right? Like, how can you quote something or advise on operations if you don't know what they want to do or how they're doing things? Um, the target portion is basically um, identifying and presenting solutions. So to help protect them or to fill in any gaps or if they do have an insurance program in place to you know update it. The execute is obviously the implementation. So it's uh, binding the policies and put that stuff in place. But also on the risk management consulting side, it's you know if they do have a business process that needs to be changed or augmented or scuttled or added, you know that also include is included in there. Um, you know, say they don't uh, do safety meetings, right? And it's a, it's a, you know, this happens a lot with contractors. Contractors should really do safety meetings to kind of keep up to speed on their safety training and to go through any claims that they do have to make sure that they're not repeating the same mistakes over and over. If you don't have those in place, the execute portion is, you know, implementing them and getting those up and running on a regular basis. Um, then you do uh, the assess step, or we do the assess step, uh, essentially analyzing what we put in place. Is it working? Did it, you know, perform as expected? Did it underperform, overperform? And then you basically modify 
uh, the program based off of that assessment to figure out whether or not you can improve everything, if everything's working all right, um, and you know, make any changes, especially if the company is growing, downsizing, if it's moving into other operations outside of its just core uh, competencies, and you know, really kind of like bobbing and weaving as far as that goes. So mm-hmm. um, that was our self shameless self promotion bit. But so anyway. Um, one of the first things that we discussed in terms of the actual coverage was that general liability policy and that professional liability policy. It makes a lot of sense to have them both with the same insurance company. And sometimes that can make it a little bit more expensive than splitting it out and doing it separately. Sometimes it's less expensive because you get, you know, the... the who's, Multi-policy who's, discount. Yeah, who's... Uh, is that the flow? Bundle. Flow, right? Yeah. The I, bundle. When you, when you bundle them together, sometimes you get a price break, right? Uh well, why is that important? It's important because what might be covered under the general liability is different than what would be covered under the professional liability. And a lot of times, if there is a claim, typically it's a lawsuit. And depending on how the lawsuit is worded, you could have you know uh, four things that are supposed to be covered under the general liability policy. You get a four things that are supposed to be covered under the professional liability policy. And then maybe there's one or two where everyone's like, uh, no, you take it, you take it, you take it, right? And if it's two different insurance companies, now your client might be at a loss because those insurance companies are going like this because they want to pay for you know the least amount as possible. And so, uh, yeah, it always helps to have it with the same insurance company if you can do it. Yes, which is what we are currently trying to do. Yes, yeah. Uh, and so that was that was a big component here was making sure that down the road, again, knock on wood, you know, we, we don't want them to have any claims, but if they do, we want to make sure that when it comes time to take care of it, that's ultimately what you're paying for. And so let's make sure to put something in place that's actually going to work for the client and um, put them in the best position possible to, to you know, recover from it. So the whole point of insurance is to get you back on your feet as quickly as possible, mm. not drag out for months and years, which can happen in larger cases. Uh, or uh, <coughs> Hurricane Sandy claims um, <laughs> for homeowners. What? what? No. I know that's, I know that's a little no. bit of a sore spot for some people. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was the first conversation we had. Um, we also talked about other coverages that um, aren't necessarily needed immediately, but might be needed in the future. Um, what were one or two of the ones that you were thinking about, Alan, in terms of adding on to that insurance program? Well, uh, I mean, you know, workers, companies, if, if they ever decide to hire on employees, mm-hmm. that, that's a big one. Um, oh, well, what else was there? Uh, Cyber's always a big one. Uh, there, there's another one, though. Well, what was the other one I was looking at? I, I was kind of, I was kind of like, I wonder if they're it was it was on the bottom of the one application. I'm like, yeah, I don't think they'll ever need this, but it, it was funny to read, and I'm blank on what it was now. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> while you think about it, box ones. Yeah, while you think about it, so um, what it goes up. along typically with workers' comp when you add workers, this is why. So to go on a little bit of a tangent, this is tangent. why when you have like when you have like a little bit of a startup company, right? Um, yeah. Oh. The, the moment yeah. you the moment you add one employee, um, it's like going from zero to hundred miles an hour. Because you have to add workers' comp, and then also that goes with that is employment practices liability uh, and um, basically all that coverage and directors and officers liability, Um, but specifically the employment practices liability because that's your 
discrimination, harassment, uh, you know, um, uh, all of those claims that can be made against you uh, about, you know, hiring, firing, disciplinary actions, you know. Uh, I think we, we did a episode that included have an employee manual. Um, yeah, yes. You know, we that's, definitely did that. You know, if it's just you and your, your partner and you both have like an equity stake in the company or whatever, um, you don't need an employee manual. There's no employees. But as soon as you hire that first employee, you need that employee manual because it, it uh, communicates, you know, what the employee can expect of you and what you're expecting of the employee in terms of, you know, their work at the at the firm or the company, or the organization. So, yeah, that that the EPL um, and the DNO go go in line with that. Did you uh, did you look it up? Did you come up with um, what you were thinking? I'm working about? on that right now. Oh, you're looking at the app. Um, yeah, I'm looking. So, I'm trying to find where where it was listed. It might have been cyber because sometimes they call cyber something different. Usually they call it like data security uh, coverage, or uh-huh. um, what's the other one? Cyber goes by like three or four different names. Uh, privacy, privacy liability coverage is another one that they sometimes call uh, cyber insurance. Look, most firms regardless of how big or small you are, needs some level of cyber coverage. Because at the end oh, of the day... Yeah, all right, I got it here. They had the crime package liability, which is, uh, okay. you know, employee employee uh, theft and fraud. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah, employee computer fraud, employee theft, and employee theft of client property. Yes. And yeah. then, and then, then there was the electronic data loss package, which, uh, which, which was that was one I was laughing at because when we talked to him, he said, uh, "Oh yeah, we don't need that because all our stuff is in the cloud, and the computer I have is is like a couple hundred dollars." <laughs> uh, so one thing that we did mention to him, and and this will be a reoccurring conversation, um, a lot of people think that they can distance themselves from the liability associated with a breach of, say, by, they, say, by know, saying they are on the cloud. Yeah, like yeah. if they back up their data to a third party uh, provider. Um, you would think that would exonerate them, but um, so for instance, uh, this this risk isn't in New Jersey. But if they operated in New Jersey, in New Jersey, whoever is the ultimate owner of that data is who has to pay the regulatory fines and penalties. And say it's like you know personal uh, financial information. If uh, if that gets um, taken or or infiltrated, that you have to pay for the notification and the credit uh, monitoring and everything like that. And so uh, that falls on the, the, the company that's going to directly benefit from that, not the firm that's providing the actual uh, storage, believe it or not. And so mm-hmm. depending on the state that you're in, you can't necessarily distance yourself. Uh, the same thing applies to credit card processing. A lot of people say, yes. oh, well, I don't have to worry about a credit card or a debit card breach because I don't store that information. Well, no, but your terminal is the one that's collecting the information. And in a state like New Jersey, you're the one benefiting from collecting that information. And so you're the one that gets railroaded if uh, there is a breach at, you know, whatever. Name name your credit card processing third-party provider um, that's out there, you know. So that is something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, prime prime examples are, you know, Target, um, Who's the 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 target target when target hack happened? They were the ones that had to pay for everybody's uh, credit monitoring. As did uh, dude. T-Mobile just got hit. Yeah. Hold hold on, I got to pull this up. This is a little uh, bit uh, far afield, but 
I gotta pull this up because there was just a big breach. Now this is called this is called teaching people. You can bring it up, buddy. No, bring that's fine. Up. I'm just saying I'm I'm uh here you go. This one says millions. So the the number I mean this is again, this is a, a spitball. Oh, they're not gonna let me look at it because there's a paywall. Hold on one second. Oh, I think man. the Wall Street Journal will allow me to look at it. All right. Yeah, so the number that they are saying is 40 million people. That's a lot um, of people. That's that's a couple. That's a few. Um, 40 million people's data got stolen because of the recent hack from uh, that happened at T-Mobile. This was just uh, authored yesterday. So I think the hack happened two days ago, something like that. Um, but just imagine if you had to pay, even if you had to pay like back of the napkin – um, you know, a hundred dollars a year. Is it is credit monitoring a hundred bucks a year? It's it's something like twelve bucks a month, isn't it? Yeah, like it's, well, I think it depends on who you, who you do it through. Yeah, de- depending on the number of account. I mean, like it can get as low as like four or five bucks, but even that low, four or five bucks, you're talking two hundred million dollars just in credit monitoring fees, right? And then add on top of that notifications that routinely have to go yeah. out to the people that might be affected. Now, obviously, yeah. for a multi-billion dollar multinational yeah, company like T-Mobile, it's, you know, this is just, oh, no, quick, somebody go smash the piggy bank. Mm. Uh, but if, you know, if your 50, 60 customers have the same thing, <laughs> how, how are you going to pay for it? Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely something where, you know, we've had that conversation with this prospect and, you know, regardless of whether they jump at it or not, it's going to continue to be a conversation because we owe them that professional duty to say, look, I granted it might be a, a low risk scenario, but it's still a scenario that exists. So um, the okay. good news is a lot of these packages offer, um, they're, they're not like amazing policies the, or, or they're not even standalone policies. A lot of these packages uh, that these insurance companies offer offer like a little yeah, bit of add-on cool, coverage yeah. Like, yeah 25 grand 50 grand something like that look something's better than nothing at least you know but um yeah that that's definitely going to be a reoccurring conversation um mm-hmm. that's going to get the, worse and worse i mean with all the current hacks and everything happening around the world do you yes. really want to risk it yeah and so um the you had touched upon it the the crime the employee crime coverage and yep. basically what I would consider fiduciary liability coverage. Um, it imply it, it applies if you have an employee that decides to, you know, uh, embezzle funds or something like that from the organization. You also, um, again, the good reason, the, the good news with this firm is they aren't participating yet in the actual, uh, projects in terms of being an investor or anything like that. Right. Uh, if they are handling money or working as a pass through at any point in, in that process, they have to have fiduciary liability coverage because um, uh, that that obviously is a risk. Where if in that moment in time or the week that the money is sitting in an escrow account, if it evaporates and goes somewhere else, um, or there's some kind of uh, social engineering attack where you know someone poses as someone from the the other party at the Mm -hmm. other end of the transaction and they're like hey uh you know john who's your partner told me to tell you to wire you know a million dollars to this uh, account if you don't uh actually figure that out before the money's out the door and if the bank doesn't catch it that's part of your fiduciary liability 
exposure from that standpoint because now investor money might be, you know, it might not just be your cash, it might be investor cash that's commingled in there. And so you you have now uh, a claim against you from them mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you weren't a good custodian of their money. And then the last thing with that is that's where directors and officers liability really comes into play because now you have stakeholders outside of just the partners. So if you have a firm that has two, three, four partners, but they all have like an equity stake, if one of them does something and the others aren't happy with it, um, they can sue the other one, but that's not insurable because it's technically an insured versus insured situation. And insurance companies don't get involved in family drama, right? Like they don't want to get involved in that stuff. neither, Neither do I. So they leave that up to you. You can fight it out as much as you can. Directors and officers' liability coverage does not apply in that situation. Where it does apply is as soon as someone outside of the family has beef with you, right? And it could be money that was spent improperly. It could have been money that, you know, disappeared magically, was embezzled, things like that. Could have been certain actions performed that maybe go against what the corporate uh, morale uh, sheet says. Mm. If there's, there's something a, that gets there's missed, a certain there's right? a certain governor that they that they're trying to get his pension cut off uh, before it takes effect in a couple of days. Uh, that that is true. That is true. Um, and yeah, the, the same exposure exists in the public sector because mm-hmm. um, most elected officials and appointed officials are you know technically custodians of public money. Um, but yeah, so in the situation where it's like one partner versus the other. It doesn't apply, but as soon as you include that third party that now could potentially have a claim against your firm, now you need that director's and officer's liability coverage because it's now someone on the outside that might make a claim, and now the insurance would kick in in order, at least to defend you, right? Like, yes. um, Yeah, at the very minimum. Yeah. So I think those are all the big coverages – I'm trying to think of something else. They don't really, I mean, we could talk about some of the nuanced coverages like, you know, hired and non-owned auto, but that's like a snooze fest. It's something you can add on to your general liability policy typically um, that just covers you if you're driving for work as a partner or an employee of the company and, you know, you get in an accident, that policy acts as a an excess policy over the top of that person's individual car insurance. Um but yeah, that's well, kind really of gonna, yeah, if you're really going to do that, you might as well just get your own business auto policy and save well, yourself yeah, if, the drama. Yeah, if, if you have own vehicles, most definitely you're going to want a business auto policy. If you're um, – even if you're reimbursing for mileage, you're going to want to have at least that add-on coverage mm-hmm. because the last thing you want is them to say that you, know, you sent uh, Ricky out to go get bagels – uh, he sideswiped three cars and killed an old lady walking across the street. Jeez, and he, that and escalated he's got, quickly. <laughs> and it, and it, it did. And he's got uh, minimum state limits on his personal auto policy, right? So what they're going to do is then they're going to get whatever they can from his policy, and they're going to be like, Ricky, what were you doing? And Ricky was like, well, I was just going out to get bagels. And by the way, the, the partner of the firm told me I needed to go really fast in order to get the bagels because everyone's really hungry. So I was speeding, and that's why I hit these people. Um, I, I, I you better believe you're getting hit went, with oh, And then I plowed somebody over. Yeah, exactly. I, I got startled. You know, um, Yeah, that that is something that um, is important, and it's like one of those nuanced little kind of small things to add on 
um, you know, that's important in that whole that whole coverage package. Um, trying to think of anything else. I, that's that's really the bulk of the main coverages we talked about. Uh, we talked these about are, like these are all the things though your broker should be doing for you. They they should be mentioning these things to you. So you, I, you know, if you call your broker and say, "Hey, I I need a new policy," and he goes, "All right, give me ten minutes, I'll send something back to you." <laughs> yeah, and you may and not be getting the coverage you need. Or, or uh, how much are you looking to spend? Right, uh, it's like the old uh, used car adage. But um, I I know you rip on me, but truthfully, yeah, at the end of the day, that's like we think of worst case, mm-hmm. right? Like that's our job. It, it, like how bad can it get, and then can we protect against it? You know, either through uh, not doing something or changing the operations, or can we get a policy to cover it just in case? You know, that's a potential loss because, um, believe me, it sounds funny, but there are cases where there have been people that have sent been spent on sent on coffee runs um, and got into a, a, a fatal car accident um, and been held liable for millions of dollars. Um, so that's definitely something to contemplate. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we are working on right now is the umbrella policy that sits over the entire program. Um, and just uh, elaborate a little bit, Alan, on why someone wouldn't just want like a baseline million dollar policy and that's it. Well, uh, you know, if you, for instance, if you, the, the, the let's see, the, I guess, um, easy way to say it is let's say you have a million dollar policy. And you're working on a two million dollar building, and you burn the two million dollar building to the ground on accident. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you didn't do it on purpose because then you'd be in prison. Your policy is only going to allegedly. Cover... <laughs> yeah, the the the, 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 fav- the favorite word uh, of of Twitter is allegedly. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know, you burn that building to the ground, and you have a one million dollar policy, but you've caused two million dollars in damage. Where do you think the other million dollars is going to come from? It's not coming yeah. from the insurance company. So an yeah, umbrella yeah. policy is above is coverage above you above and beyond the policy that you are currently you currently have. So mm-hmm. if you have a one million dollar uh, one million dollar policy and a one million dollar umbrella, your 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 policy will pay out the million first, and then the umbrella will cover the rest. Yeah, and so um, there, there's also a couple other. Well, there's one other big scenario. The other thing you got to remember is a lot of these policies have annual uh, annual limits on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and say you're working on not just one $2 million building, but four or five of them throughout the year. If you have a problem at multiple of them, you could cap off how much you have in that first policy, what we would call the primary policy, the first one that pays out. And so if you top off those limits, now you're not going to have any primary coverage anymore. Um, and so that umbrella policy actually in many cases can call drop down, meaning it will then become the primary policy in the event that you run out of limits on your first policy. Um, extremely important. And there's all kinds of we could we could bury you in industry jargon in terms of, you know, what to look for for that policy. The Hold phrase up. that. I'll start throwing out all those phrases I learned in all those insurance classes. You'll, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll, uh, you'll sleep well tonight if we do that. The the one thing you have to remember is follow form, follow or following form, and what that basically says is the umbrella will cover at least as much as the underlying policy. 
the last thing you want is an umbrella that doesn't have a following form coverage form. And uh, you have a primary policy that covers, you know, one type of claim. And then it goes to the umbrella because it's a $2 million claim. And the umbrella carrier is like, yeah, we don't cover that. <laughs> You're like, well, what the hell did I pay you for? Right. Um, that's exactly that's that's one of the biggest things that needs to be in place that you should confirm whether you're working with a broker, risk manager, if you are in the industry, just remember follow or following form is a major component of making sure that you have a policy over that primary policy that covers at least as much. And hopefully it covers a little bit more too, because, you know, God forbid something happened that the primary policy actually doesn't cover you might still be able to find some coverage in the umbrella policy. In that case, it might not drop down, but you know, maybe you're only stuck with a million dollar bill as opposed to two million dollar bill. Yes. Um, and, and, if, and and if you have one of those issues where you have so many accidents that you you've you've capped out your primary policy, you may want to reconsider your uh, your business practices. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, there's bad luck sometimes, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I would I would definitely say if you are one, if you once do, once once is bad luck, once is it twice is a shame. Anything more than that is just poor planning and poor safety. <laughs> I it's I especially if you don't make any changes after that second one, right? Like I think the first one should be enough of a, a scare. Um, I've run into this case in the employment practices liability world multiple times, where it's like the the they have one manager that just can't keep their hands to themselves and after the first claim they didn't do anything and then after the second claim they didn't do anything and the problem is once you have the second claim they refer back to that first claim to be like see you guys didn't do anything and now the how much the second claim costs is like 10x of what it would normally cost if it was the first claim and so i run into that all the time with these things where um, either they're completely bare, meaning they don't have a policy to uh, cover it, and or they haven't changed any of their operating policies, right? They didn't reprimand the person. They didn't do any training or anything like that. Um, and so – and sometimes it's, I find – that, that, You know, it's funny you say – I mean when you, when you hear – you know, everybody likes to make the joke about the sexual harassment training. There's a reason why companies wind up having – you know, it, it – if you're if you're if you work for a large corporation or something like that and they say, hey, listen, everybody, next Friday we're doing sexual harassment training. Guess what? There's a reason why mm. it's they didn't decide out of the blue that, hey, you know, what sounds sounds fun next Friday, sexual harassment training. No, yeah. it's because they just got sued by somebody and now they're doing it to cover their asses. Or, or there was a near miss, right? Like yeah, a lot well, of times yeah, there's a near guess, miss. Yeah, could you, be it too. hold your breath, right? Like, um, but there so. Something to something to remember with liability claims like that, whether it's general liability, professional liability, um, uh, employment practices liability. Typically, um, the worst case scenario isn't just the claim itself. The worst case scenario is if you do nothing once you see that there's a problem, whether it's a claim or it's not a claim, especially in the the employment practices liability realm, right? Like if if something smells if you smell smoke okay you call the fire department that's what you do you don't just go eh, may, maybe Open it's a, a window, fire maybe it's away. not yeah like you know we'll just air the place out of you okay no you call the fire department you make sure to address what the situation is before it gets 
too far down the road because typically a lot of these claims end up being nothing claims if you can show you actually did something to respond to the initial complaint yeah. or whatnot. It's the ones where that are just nonsensical, where it's just time after time after time, like, you know, someone has gone to their manager five times and they're like, look, you know, Bobby over here is really disgusting and keeps saying these things and like, you know, is is really lewd to, you know, the other people in the office. And the manager was like, eh, he does good work. Like, you know, he's just, uh, that's you know, just his personality. Whatever. Yeah. You know, he's just must understood. He's, he's, quirky. Just, he's like, joking you know. around. He's, just, he's yeah. kidding. Yes, exactly. Like that's the scenario that ends up resulting in just a gigantic claim. And, um, yeah, well, there's another one too that results in that you've ever had one workers comp claim, uh, and you don't, you don't do say some kind of training. Not only do you get and you get a second claim, not only is that going to be an expensive claim, there's another group that gets really, really involved in workers' comp claims. And you don't want those inspectors showing up at your job sites. Oh, because OSHA they get really, really that. expensive. Yeah, they they love to hear you didn't you did not do updated safety training. They love yeah. I mean, they 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 let you go. I mean, they just give you a warning and they say, oh, no. Of course yeah. that warning is attached to about 30 tickets. I, it's 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 a momentum game because uh, the 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 ball can be rolling in a good direction or it can be rolling in a bad direction. Uh -huh. And typically, what happens is if the ball's rolling in a bad direction, regardless of what type of claim we're talking about, um, you some companies and some organizations can get a false sense of security because it's moving in the wrong direction. You have like all these near misses and stuff like that, but it's because it hasn't bit them yet mm -hmm. that they don't make any changes and the problem that happens is the further down the line the ball goes the worse the fallout gets because that first you know it, it, again it's where you smell smoke there's probably fire right and so the further down the road that ball gets the much more painful it gets when you actually end up do having that claim right um, and so the same thing applies. So talking about this one risk, this really applies to professional liability as well. If you can identify your mistake and own up to it and fix it as quickly as possible, that mitigates any of the damage, might even wipe away everything, right? Mm -hmm. But if you know it exists and you just keep going, that professional liability claim that comes in could end up being astronomical. It could bankrupt your firm. Right. Um, and so that's the key. There, There is a certain level of ethics and professionalism and stuff that goes with whatever business that you're running, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to professional liability. Um, same is true for us as, as risk managers and brokers. If we recognize a mistake, we can't just bite our tongue. We have to bring it to the forefront and address it because, God forbid, it actually ends up materializing into an uncovered claim or some kind of fine or penalty or something like that, you know, we have egg on our face, right? And and we haven't done our professional duty as far as that mm -hmm. goes. And we are we are also held to standards which can cost us uh anywhere from money to jail time. So mm -hmm. <laughs> which are completely different than the standards that you have for your friends because that's why I've stuck around for so long. So uh, or well, that you've allowed me to stick around for so long. Uh, to, to be to be fair, there will come a point where I need bail money. So yeah, <laughs> eventually someone has to be straight faced and talk to the authority <laughs> figures. Just remember that. Uh, well, look, that's all I got. Uh, anything else with this one that uh, kind of uh, 
popped out at you or what? No, I mean, that was, you know, I'm still, I'm just trying, pulling out my hair, trying to get through the process. <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's, working with underwriters uh, and wholesalers can, can sometimes be, a, it's definitely a process. Um, relationship is a big deal. So like if you're working with a new underwriter or a new wholesaler, it takes time to kind of establish rapport and understand each other, how, how you all work and how you have to communicate in order to be on each other's wavelength. So yeah, uh, right. it takes time, but it does. It it's fun. I mean, they, uh, everybody's just trying to help everybody. That's really what it boils down to. Uh, you know, sometimes you need a happy little tree in the corner. That's all you need. Just uh, It helps out. <laughs> uh, that way you can fashion it into a baseball bat and start swinging. Uh, <laughs> um, what is that? The natural? That's the natural, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but it's all, it was also a signal. Uh, that, that, signal. that movie set with um, uh, Mel Gibson and what's his name and the aliens were signs. Oh, signs. signs. Yeah, signs. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, water was the enemy of the alien. Uh, swing away, Merle. Right, like that was yeah. the line. God, yeah. that movie was so bad. <laughs> um, we can definitely do a fluffy episode sometime in the future oh. of like our favorite and most hated movies. That's yes. definitely something we can work on. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll make sure to keep it PG thirteen. Yeah, well, or you know what we gotta do is we, we 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 have to get we have to get a. Uh, See, that would be the perfect episode for your wife to explain how we drive her insane quoting movies all day long. I, Alan, I drive her insane regardless of what I do. Well, yeah, so. no, I mean, being married to you, I, believe me, I, 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 get, I feel her pain. She, she hasn't even known you as long as I have. Trust me, I feel her pain. Uh, on that note, I have to go home before the, she changes the locks. Um, she already did. Don't worry about it. If you made it. it this far, like, comment, subscribe, share, hit the notification bell, retweet, help us get this out there. Help us with the algorithm. Uh, thank you very much for uh, attending another episode of Build Your Bottom Line. And we will be back next Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, I think we have a guest lined up. Do we have a guest lined up for next week? Oh, what, I don't know. What's next week? I don't even know what's yeah, today. Yeah, 26th, 26th. Yes, yep. yes. We yeah. have uh, – we have uh, – it's not – I think it's Scott next week, isn't it? Uh, it might be. Hold on. Wow, the, the wheels are grinding to a halt. We are quickly. we are well prepared tonight. Batting a thousand. Um, yeah. Uh, so we have someone who works in the real estate uh, business in is it California? Is he, he's in Cali, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, definitely some interesting stories to tell out there. Um, you know, especially yes. with some of the disruption and stuff. So uh, definitely uh, subscribe so you get the notification when we go live next week. And uh, again, hit the like button. We appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Good night. Hey, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the program. And gained some new insights. Remember to hammer that like button. And follow or subscribe. Make sure to tune in next time. And as always, build your bottom line. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.